if you will cry out to God to apply to you what Christ did, you will be declared right before God. God will pronounce your sins in Christ's ledger and Christ's righteousness in yours. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series from Romans chapter 4, entitled, A Portrait of Faith. The Apostle Paul uses very interesting financial terms to describe the amazing transaction that takes place in the important doctrine of justification. Those terms are debit and credit. It's a legal decision of God as judge in which he debits or charges the believing sinner's sins to Christ on the cross and then credits to the sinner the merits of Christ's perfect life, his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. And what a magnificent thing that it's all born of God's grace alone and it is received by faith alone. In the life of Abraham, in the life of Paul, and for every believer that's ever lived. If that's you, friend, then it's your story as well. Let's join Tom now as he concludes A Portrait of Faith here on The Word Unleashed. As Abraham meditated on these things that were true about God, his faith grew strong. And the same thing is true about our faith. Your faith will only grow stronger in proportion to your understanding of the truth about who God is. One of my favorite Old Testament texts is in Psalm 9, verse 10. Easy reference to remember. Psalm 9, 10. And in part, this is what it says. Those who know your name, that is those who understand your character, will put their trust in you. When you understand who God is, when you understand what's true about God, the more you come to to grips with that, the stronger your faith in God will become. Those who know God's name, who know what He's like, they can't help but trust Him. Now, where do we learn about God's character? Obviously, in the Word of God. That's why later in Romans chapter 10, Paul will say, How can you believe in someone about whom you've not heard? You you need to hear the message. And then in verse 17 of chapter 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Our faith is strengthened as we see God in His word. This is why, believer, being regularly, faithfully, daily in the word of God is so important to your spiritual health. Neglect the Scripture. This this is an inviolable principle of God's spiritual kingdom. If you neglect to be in the Scriptures, then your faith will weaken in the same way that your body would weaken if you began to skip meals. Skip one meal, and most of us would do okay without that. But continue to skip them as a pattern, and it will have an effect on your physical health and strength. The same thing is true spiritually. Skip one day, a couple of days being in the Scripture, not going to have any immediate and dramatic effect, although it it does have some. But you continue as a pattern. 
to, to skip that time of feeding your soul in the Scripture and it will erode and weaken your faith. Faith grows strong the more we focus on our God in His Word. Don't just check the box when you read the Bible. Don't just say, okay, I got that reading over with. Look for God. What does it say God is or, or God does? And learn about your God. And the more you learn about who He is, the deeper your confidence will be and the stronger your faith will grow. Now, this point says saving faith grows, but also, secondly, it says saving faith endures. You see, Abraham didn't believe God when he was 75 and then later stopped believing God. In fact, Hebrews 11.13 says that Abraham and all of the patriarchs died in faith. He reached the end of his life still believing, even though, the writer of Hebrews says, without receiving all of the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. You see, Abraham's faith endured. It lasted. It persevered throughout his entire life. True saving faith never stops believing God's promise of salvation and never comes to the point where it turns and walks away from Christ. If you're here this morning and at some point in your life you made a profession of Christ, you you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you're not committed to Christ today, He is not your Savior and Lord, you're not walking in obedience to Him, then understand that what happened to you earlier wasn't true saving faith. You are not a Christian. True saving faith never stops believing God's promise of salvation. It never turns and walks away from Christ. Why? Because faith is a work of God, and God always finishes what He starts. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. True faith continues to grow strong as a pattern of life, and it always endures. Strong, enduring faith in the power of God to do what He has promised always results in a tenth quality of saving faith, a quality that takes us back to a little phrase at the end of verse 20. Number 10, saving faith gives God glory. Look at verse 20. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Hebrews 11 says, it pleases God when we believe his word. And here Paul tells us why. It pleases him because it glorifies him. Paul says, Abraham grew strong in faith with the result that it gave glory to God. His faith glorified God. Your faith brings glory to God. What does that mean? You know, we use that expression, glorifying God, or or we give God glory. What does that mean? We use it often, but I'm afraid our thinking is a little vague about it. Let me just remind you, as as I've told you before, that glory is used of God in three ways in Scripture. First of all, it's used, glory is used of His inherent, internal weightiness of His character. 
This is who God is inherently, intrinsically. This is the sum of who He is. The inescapable weight of the character of God. That's His glory. And it would be true even if there was never another being to see it. If God had never created another intelligent being to observe and praise Him for it. In fact, in John 17 verse 5, Jesus in His great high priestly prayer said, Father, glorify me together with yourself, listen to this, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There was nobody there to see it, but there was still this intrinsic glory to who God was and is. A second use of the word glory speaks of the external manifestation of the weightiness of God and His character. This is what is seen when God acts When God puts who He is inherently and internally on display, when He does something, for example, in creation, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 says, the whole earth is full of His glory. You can see the weightiness of God and His being and His character by what He's made, by what He's created. And of course, He most demonstrated His glory in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.14, you remember, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. But the third usage of the word glory is the one that's used here. It, it is to refer to the honor and praise that intelligent beings ascribe to God in light of who He is and in light of what He's done. This is what we mean when we speak of giving glory to God or bringing glory to God or glorifying God. It's not adding something to God. It is acknowledging and extolling what is already true of Him. Now, look at that in context. Paul's point here in context is that when we believe God's Word, we give Him glory. We bring praise and adoration to the sum of who He is. Again, Calvin writes, No greater honor, listen to this, No greater honor can be given to God than by faith to seal His truth. As on the other hand, no greater dishonor can be done to Him than to refuse His offered favor or to discredit His word. It is hence the chief thing in honoring God, obediently to embrace His promises, and true religion begins with faith. You see, what Paul is saying here is that believing God's Word glorifies Him. Why? Because it shows that we think God is trustworthy. We think He's honest. We think He's powerful and able to do what He said. On the other hand, refusing to believe God's Word is a slur on the glory of God for exactly the opposite reason. Because it shows that we think God is not trustworthy, that He is not all-powerful, and that He is not honest with us in what He says. Faith gives glory to God. Listen carefully. It honors God when you believe His bare Word. An eleventh and final quality of faith is that saving faith is the means to receive justification. It is the means to receive justification. Look at verse 22. Therefore, 
because Abraham believed God in the ways we have already seen, it, that is according to verse 5, his faith, his faith was credited for righteousness. Now that could be confusing. That could sound like faith is righteousness. But that's not what he's saying. Look back at verse 6. God credits righteousness apart from works, but rather by faith. That's what he's saying. Or Philippians 3.9, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now I say that because when we talk about the relationship between faith and justification, there are two catastrophic dangers to be avoided. Danger number one is thinking that faith and works together are necessary for justification, to to have a right standing before God. Faith and works. That's what the Jews thought. In fact, that's what they thought about Abraham. They thought, yes, Abraham believed, but it wasn't just his belief. It was his obedience that made God give him the spiritual blessing. In fact, listen to one of the rabbis. This is from the Talmud. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord, and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. And then another place, this. Abraham did not sin against you, God. That's why they believed God gave him a right standing, because he earned it. But Paul, in Romans chapter 4, is teaching that Abraham received the spiritual blessing of a right standing before God by faith alone. That's the whole point of verses 4 and 5. So there's a danger. Don't you dare for a moment think that it's faith and works that are necessary for you to achieve a right standing before God. It's faith alone. There's another catastrophic danger, and that is thinking that faith is the cause of justification. In other words, some people, they read this passage and they think, well, okay, I don't have righteousness, but God decides instead of righteousness to accept my faith as if it were righteousness. That is not what this passage is teaching. Instead, Abraham believed God and God's promises of justification to the one who believes, and God credited actual righteousness to him as a gift. So Abraham was justified by righteousness, just not his own but a gift of righteousness as we discover the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Faith was only the means by which he received it. Scripture always speaks of justification as being by or through faith. Faith is like a hand that reaches out to receive the gift of righteousness that's found only in Jesus Christ. It's only a channel. It's an instrument. It's not the cause or the grounds. I have a favorite quote from B.B. Warfield I've shared with you before, but I have to share it again. Listen to what B.B. Warfield wrote. It is not faith that saves, but faith in Christ. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not in the act of faith or the attitude of faith or the nature of faith, but in the object of faith. 
we could not more radically misconceive the biblical representation of faith than by transferring to faith even the smallest fraction of that saving energy which is attributed in the Scriptures solely to Christ Himself. Christ saves. And His gift of salvation, His righteousness is received by faith. Now notice Paul adds in verse 22, it was credited as righteousness. As we have learned in our march through the first few chapters of Romans, particularly chapter 3, the early part of chapter 4, this is justification. This is that legal decision of God as judge in which he declares the believing sinner to be righteous because he credits to him the merits of Christ's righteousness. Credited by means of faith alone. Now just to remind you of that word credit, it's a crucial word. It's a financial term that means to post to a ledger. In justification, as we have seen, God does three things. First of all, God credits our sins to Christ. He puts our sins, every every foul attitude we've ever had, every sinful thought, every wicked word, every evil deed, every sin we have ever committed, God has record of. And He takes and posts those in Christ's ledger. And on the cross, for those dark hours, He poured out on Christ the justice every one of those sins of everyone who would ever believe deserved. He treated Christ as if he had committed those sins. Christ endured the cup of the wrath of God. Isaiah 53 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. Secondly, in justification, God not only posts our sins in Christ's ledger, but he credits Christ's righteousness to us. In other words, He takes those 33 perfect years, every right thought Jesus ever had, every word He spoke that that conformed, I should say, to the law of God, which was every word He spoke, every act He performed, every time He expressed love for God and love for others, which was every moment of His life, God takes all of that righteousness and He posts it in my ledger. And He treats me as if I had lived that life. The third thing God does in justification is on the basis of having posted my sins in Christ's ledger and treating Him on the cross as if He had committed them and posting Christ's righteousness to my ledger and treating me as if I had lived that life. On the basis of that, God declares me to be forgiven and to be perfectly righteous before His law. Not with my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. That's justification. As you know, my favorite verse in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.21, where Paul summarizes this perfectly. He says, He, that is the Father, made Him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Listen, if you're a believer this morning, there is great peace and comfort in this. In fact, as we'll note in the next passage, Paul says, listen, God has done for you exactly what He did for Abraham. 
And in chapter 5, he says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace. The war's over. And we stand in the grace of justification. We live our lives under the shadow of His forgiving love. And he goes on in chapter 5 to list a variety of other benefits and blessings. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not a believer, understand that you can... This is Paul's point in chapter 4 of Romans. He's talking to you. The Spirit of God's talking to you. You can receive the gift of a right standing with God today just like Abraham did if you will put your faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as your only hope of ever being right with God. If you will turn from your sin, that's repentance. And if you will put your confidence solely in Christ and Him alone, if you will cry out to God to apply to you what Christ did, you will be declared right before God. God will pronounce your sins in Christ's ledger and Christ's righteousness in yours. And He will forgive you and declare you to be forever right before His just throne. Today. You see, Paul uses Abraham's example here to identify seven, excuse me, 11 foundational qualities of justifying faith. We've seen them. Saving faith is biblical faith. It's, it's rooted in God's character. We believe God because He's God and, and what He's like. It's certain hope in God's promise. It is contrary to human expectations. It's a gift that God gives us. That's why we believe. It's founded solely on God's Word. It believes God in spite of our weaknesses and our sins and our circumstances. We come back to the promise of God and we believe God. It refuses to accommodate unbelief. And it grows throughout life and endures to the very end, believing the promises of God in the gospel. And that gives glory to God. And God, in response to the faith He gives us, gives us the grace of justification. He declares us to be right with Him by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Christ alone. Together, those principles define faith. They illustrate what faith looks like. They set a pattern for our faith. They compose what is one of the Scripture's greatest masterpieces, a portrait of faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. If you have or will believe God's promises in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be credited to you for righteousness. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part eight of his series, A Portrait of Faith. Tom begins a new series on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, as we close today, any final thoughts about Paul's use of the financial terms debit and credit as it relates to salvation? It's so important to remember that this concept of, of crediting or imputing is at the very heart of the gospel. One of my favorite verses in Scripture comes from Paul when he writes to the to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.21 and says, He, that is God, made him, Christ, 
who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That verse really summarizes the two crucial divine transactions that happen at the moment of our justification or salvation. The moment any sinner repents and believes in Jesus Christ, God pronounces your sins as in Christ's ledger and Christ's righteousness in yours. And he treated Jesus on the cross as if he had lived your sinful life. And he in turn will forgive you and declare you to be forever right before his throne as Jesus is right before his throne. That's really the heart of the gospel message. And it's exactly what Paul explains regarding Abraham here in Romans 4. Thanks, Tom. And friend, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.